Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Stephen Perkins program. It's good to be back. I've been gone uh, for the past two weeks. Matt Dallas uh, filled in for me last week. Very grateful to Matt for doing that. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go into it. What are you waiting for? Come on. Matt talked about things that were of importance, as he always does. So go listen to that episode. Uh, But I'm back this week. Uh, It is now officially summer. I now officially have free time, as I'm sure probably you have a little more free time. Shout out to all my friends in D.C. doing internships right now. I'm a little jealous. Wish I was there. But uh, but I'm certainly glad to be back this week doing this show. Uh, I'm going to talk about a few things this week. Uh, Specifically, Graham Ferguson's new article that uh, was just posted on OutsetMagazine.com today. Uh, Friday, May 28th, about what ISIS really wants. Also going to talk about Caleb Franz. He is a new contributor to Outset, so welcome to the family, Caleb. He also uh, wrote his first piece for Outset, what it would mean to rely on the Constitution, talking about Senator Rand Paul's filibuster of the um, uh, NSA surveillance program. So I'll be talking about that a bit. And then we're going to go into the definitive ranking of 2016 presidential campaign logos. Because if you've heard me say anything on here or on Twitter or wherever, what is the most important thing about the 2016 campaign? It's the logos, obviously, because, you know, that's the important thing. But first, I do want to give some love to the sponsor of this week's program, the people who are making this episode completely free, just like Obamacare, right? Um, except it's actually free. So this week's episode is brought to you by Octopod. And Octopod is a company that uh, that makes and sells a wonderful line of mobile charging solutions. And right now, if you go to octo-pod, that's O-C-T-O-P-O-D.com slash outset, you can view their entire line of portable charging solutions to make sure that your phone never goes dead again. Yes, I said it, your phone will never go dead again. And the cool thing is, if you want 50% off your order, and let's be honest, who doesn't, you can use the checkout, uh, their code outset at checkout, that's O-U-T-S-E-T. doesn't have to be capitalized. And you'll get 50% off your order. Once again, go to octo-pod.com slash outset. All right, so I want to talk about the presidential campaign logos. And uh, the the article that I did only has 10. And I know that there's now been some more people um, who, <clears throat> excuse me, who have jumped in the race. And so we'll talk about those. But I just want to go down... Um, my list and kind of tell you my thoughts about the logos because this is quite important um, as I'm sure you could understand. So at number 10, and I almost feel like having the David Letterman uh, top 10 list, you know, uh, drum roll, but um, I don't have a house band yet, so can't do it. But at number 10, we have Hillary Clinton's logo. This thing is confusing, um, unflattering, um, doesn't really follow. I don't know. To me, it looks like 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 a healthcare logo. Um, it looks like it could be made out of out of kindergartner blocks. Um, it looks like a hospital sign, like pointing towards the emergency room. And 
you know, I'm not digging it. I'm sure you've seen it by now. I'm not digging it at all. I think it's interesting that the arrow is going to the right instead of, you know, to the left. But I guess it's to signify going forward, but it makes it seem like, oh, Hillary's going to the right, which her supporters certainly don't want. Anyways, at number nine, I had Mike Huckabee, who is just, other than Chris Christie, who is the other um, chubby individual, he is just a, a round mound of sound and a big ball of fun. Mike Huckabee's logo, it looks like a logo that you would have if you're running for like a state office or like county judge, but um, but he's not at all. It's not at all. I don't. I don't know. I. I just think it's not. Um, it's not very appealing. It, I. I kind of like the slogan from Hope to Higher Ground. And he's talking about Hope, Arkansas, where he's from and where he announced. And um, but I don't really understand what what he what he means by from Hope to Higher Ground. What What is that even supposed to mean? Anyways, his logo is terrible. Go look at it. It's pretty bad. Number eight. This guy with a name like Lincoln. Okay. If 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 your first name is Lincoln, you have some pretty big shoes to fill. Lincoln Chafee, um, his logo looks terrible. I mean, it, it looks like something that like could be a belt buckle maybe, um, but not so much a logo. And, it, and it's like it's outlined in green and it, it's just it's very odd. I don't like it one bit. It looks like it's from the early 2000s and those were not good years let me tell you number seven the aqua the aqua fresh logo bernie sanders logo it looks like the toothpaste uh brand aqua fresh it looks like their logo and uh, it has that nice little socialist star over the eye as bernie um is a self-proclaimed socialist leaning liberal at number six i had ben carson um so here's the thing I'm not sure when gold or tan became an acceptable color for a presidential campaign logo. Maybe he's trying to think outside the box. Maybe he's trying to push boundaries, but I'm not liking it, Ben. All right, I'm not liking it. I do, though, on, on the America part, it, it looks like the A in America has a little ponytail. Like it's kind of like a like a radical biker A. It's kind of interesting. Other than that, number five, Marco Rubio. You've probably seen Marco Rubio's logo by now you know i i really don't hate it as much as some people do some people said it looks too corporate or whatever i don't hate it that much i i I do think it's weird that he dotted the i with with uh, an outline of america kind of weird but uh his slogan a new american century it makes him feel kind of like john f kennedy you know kind of this guy with this young guy with a grand vision and he's also catholic so Things are adding up. He's obviously the reincarnation of John F. Kennedy. But it looks good. It's a good logo. Number four, Rick Santorum. And actually, I thought he was going to keep his same logo. Rick Santorum has actually changed his logo up just a little bit. So back in 2012, it was, you know, this very bold red Rick with a white Santorum. And the O of Santorum was kind of like this... A star-studded circle with the silhouette of an eagle in it. It's kind of similar now. Now it's just all you know, one one color, the Rick Santorum part, and then he has the red eagle kind of flying out from behind the Rick Santorum lettering. So, 
Um, I mean, not that you care, but I, I, I gave it number four. And, uh, you know, the best thing about his logo is it looks really good on a sweater vest. And I, I hope, I really do hope that there will be a new line of Rick Santorum sweater vest this election. Because I never got one in 2012. And, it, you know, it's not that I support him, but I do support sweater vest. So I would obviously need one. At number three, this is where it's going to get heated. The top three. This is where, this is where I'm sure I'll get hate mail, death threats. What's that white powder that people send in the mail? I'll get all of it. At number three, I have Ted Cruz. And my reason, hear me out, y'all. Hear me out, hardcore Ted Cruz fans. First of all, a lot has been said about his logo, right? Uh, he has this this serif font that he's went with, um, as opposed to the more modern-looking sans serif. The color of the font is, is like a, it's a gray, but it's kind of like, a, well, it's a gray. To me, it kind of looks brownish gray, but that's because my color perception's off. What I, what I have an issue with with this logo, and I used to have more of an issue with it when it first came out, but it is the, um, the patriotic flame that actually looks more like a teardrop. And I mean, it's not that bad. I, I could see it. They've already released some shirts now. It's actually a new thing. They have a Ted Cruz store that has opened up. And so when they put it on things, it doesn't look so bad. But I think, I think what Ted Cruz is trying to do, if, if it really is a teardrop, what Ted, Cruz, what Ted Cruz is really trying to do is send the message that when he cries, he cries patriotic tears. And isn't that the kind of president we want? Maybe not. So number two, I have Carly Fiorina. This woman is a firecracker, I swear. She's a great, she's just, she's so good. She's so good. But unfortunately, her logo is not number one, unlike her personality. So the only issue I have with it is it reminds me of Delta Airlines a little bit. And I don't know why. I think it's because the, the dark blue background with the white and the red. But I mean, then again, that's almost every logo. Um, I, and, and maybe it's like the A is like in an arrow and all these things. I don't know. All I know is that uh, is that I, I, I like her logo. I think it's sharp, focused, ready to win, just like her. And then number one, would you believe it? It's Rand Paul's logo. It's just too good. It's really too good. I mean, listen, Rand Paul is the connoisseur of cool, if you will. He had Ray-Ban sunglasses in his campaign shop, for goodness sake until Ray-Ban um, got mean and told him to take it down. But, uh, but you know what I really like about Rand Paul's logo is he has the flame on it, and it's a really nice-looking flame. I think Ted Cruz should take notes about Rand Paul's flame. So there it is. That's my definitive ranking of the 2016 presidential campaign logos. Now, today, May the 28th, someone just announced, and that someone is George Pataki, Pat, Patakai, Pataki. I don't know how to say his name, but he is the um, former governor of New York. And he held that position from 95 to 2006. And he launched um, his campaign today, which, you know, is is interesting. He, uh, he He's kind of a no one, kind of a nobody. Um, but 
apparently he has fans. I don't know. Like there were people at his speech is what I mean by that. His logo's okay. It, it, I mean, it's it's very basic. But but this is what I, I, I want to talk about a little bit um, since we're talking about the 2016 campaign and kind of where things are heading. I see a big issue with people like Pataki. Or again, I, I really don't know how to pronounce that. Like him and Jeb and Huckabee and all these establishment Republicans getting into the race. And it's been said by many people. But my concern is that this is an attempt by the establishment to undermine some of the stronger candidates in terms of ideology, like Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and Marco Rubio and Carly Fiorina and people like that. And I think this is the parties the GOP's attempt at blocking some of these people from getting anywhere in the election. I mean, they are they are sending in, especially people like Jeb Bush. These are people who are taking away vital votes. And I mean, there's an argument to be made that you can't really, uh, you can't secure both the establishment side of the party and the Tea Party side of the party. But what it's doing is it's creating division within the party, even more division. You don't see this within the Democratic Party, even though you have now Bernie Sanders uh, challenging Hillary, Lincoln Chafee challenging Hillary, and uh, and uh, a few other people who are thinking about it. Even though you have those people battling Hillary for the nomination, or at least in the coming months they will be, you still don't see division within the Democratic Party. The one thing I've always admired about the Democrats is they know exactly what they believe. And so does America. America knows whether you have a good interpretation of the Democratic Party's platform or, or a bad one. You know exactly where they stand on the issues. You know exactly when it comes to abortion, they're for it. When it comes to same-sex marriage, they're for it. When it comes to, um, to uh, you know, foreign policy, they... They're skittish, you know, all these things. You know exactly where they stand. When it comes to the economy, they, they want the government to have a, a big and active role in it. What you don't understand, though, and I'm not speaking as much right now about conservative insiders, or, but I'm talking about just regular Americans, especially undecided voters. You don't know where the GOP stands. Because you have you have this entirely crowded field of candidates. I think we're we're now going to be up to twelve or thirteen. You have this this incredibly crowded field of candidates who are all saying all these different things, and some of them are similar. Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, for example, very similar, um, very similar from an ideology standpoint. Probably probably ninety eight percent similar. But you have all these people saying all these different things. And then when it comes to debate time, can you imagine getting 12 to 13 people on the debate stage? It's not going to happen. CNN has already said that that their debate is not going to have all of them at the same time. Fox has already said that. So now what it causes is it causes a race for who can get the most donors, who can get the most people out to vote for them um, in the in, in the primaries. Essentially, 
who can tap into that extremely active base that the Republican Party has in establishment Republicans. The key for 2016, and I really believe this, the key is not only the fundraising part of it, but it, it, it's getting people out to these primaries and getting people voting in these polls, because that is how it is now going to be decided who gets to be up on that debate stage. And, and, and you can bet 100% that people like Jeb Bush are looking at this system of limitations and, and who's going to participate in the debate and all that. They're looking at that system and they are looking for ways to take advantage of it. They're looking at ways to get out there, do better in the polls than these other people. So some of these more notable Republicans, I say more notable, I mean uh, more realistic, people who, who real conservatives actually want to win. They are trying to find a way to block them from ever getting um, in any way far in the campaigns. They are trying to shut out the ideological superstars in the Republican Party. Now, do I really think that Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and, uh, and Marco Rubio are going to have a hard time getting in, into the debates? No. But people like Carly Fiorina, who uh, is well known by conservatives, but is not well known by the general American public, they're going to have a hard time getting into the debates, which means that their views are not going to be expressed in these debates, and people are going to have to uh, are going to have to seek out on their own people like Carly Fiorina, even people like Ben Carson is in trouble. Listen, I'm not the biggest Ben Carson fan, but uh, but people like him are in trouble because they find themselves at relatively at the lower part of the polls. And that's going to cause a lot of prob problems for them getting in the debates. And, you know, it's very, uh, it's very clear that participation in debates is extremely important. It's extremely important. I mean, we have seen debates change the entire narrative of an election. And now we're going to be denying some of these people. If, if, if we really want to limit the debates, and I'm all for limiting the debates, I think there should probably be six people up on that debate stage and no more. But can we please get the people who are actually running for president instead of just running for a cabinet position or instead of just running their mouth? Let's get Ted Cruz up there. Let's get Carly up there. Let's get Rand Paul up there. Let's get Rubio up there. And... Hell, I'm even in favor of instituting a has-been rule to say if you've already run, get out of the race. We don't really... Rick Santorum is old news. Jeb Bush, although he hasn't run before, he's still old news. Mike Huckabee is old news. Rick Perry, as much as I love him, former governor of Texas, but he's old news. Lindsey Graham, good lord, come on, old news. Chris Christie, old news. Bobby Jindal, I like it. I like that idea. Donald Trump, please do not let him on that stage. Scott Walker needs to be on that stage. Absolutely, Scott Walker needs to be there. But we need, you know, we have to be serious about this. 2016 is such a vital election. 
So what we have to do as conservatives, as young conservatives, is we have to make sure we're out there, we're participating. If you live in these states that have these early primaries, you need to get out there and vote. You need to actually prop up these quality candidates to make sure that we don't have this, this, this crackhead as a nominee. Because I tell you what, Jeb Bush as the nominee loses. Mike Huckabee as the nominee will lose. Rick Santorum as the nominee will lose. These has-beens and these insiders will lose. We have to prop someone up better. Before I go on to the uh, to the other stories, I do want to give just one more shout out to Octopod. Thank, thank you so much, Octopod, for making this episode completely free this week. If you want to support Outset and support Octopod, go to octo-pod.com slash Outset. That's O-U-T-S-E-T. And you can view their awesome line of portable charging solutions. Guys, portable charging solutions means that your phone, your tablet, whatever mobile device you have never has to go without battery again. Whenever your battery's getting low, you just pop it into one of these things and bam, you have a charge for the rest of the day. So you go to octo-pod.com slash outset and you enter the code outset at checkout, you will get 50% off your order. I know what you're thinking. Do I deserve 50% off? Like that's a big percentage. Let me tell you something. You do deserve 50% off. It's time to treat yourself. Anyways, that was fun. Uh, So let's let's go into these other stories. Uh, Let me pull them up. Let me pull them up. And I just exited out of the one story I wanted. All right, Caleb Franz. First of all, Caleb, welcome to the Outset family. Thanks so much for joining us. Caleb Franz is uh, is our newest contributor at Outset, and he just wrote an article called What It Would Mean to Rely on the Constitution. And he talks about Senator Paul's, uh, Senator Rand Paul's filibuster of the NSA uh, bulk collection Patriot Act extension thing. All, all all the good NSA stuff. It was essentially, though, uh, an extension of the Patriot Act. And in fact, the effort continues on Sunday, May the 31st. He will be back in the Senate chambers because that's when they postponed it to. So he will be back there and he will, uh, I, I believe he's going to be trying to filibuster it again. So we'll see how that goes. Um, anyway, so Paul spoke for 10 and a half hours Wednesday. And let me tell you something. I, I, I really don't know how these senators do it, whether it's Paul or Cruz or whoever. I don't know how you speak for 10, 10 and a half hours because the rules are, in case you don't know the rules, the rules are you can't sit down. You can't necessarily eat. I mean, you could have snacks brought to you or whatever, but I mean, you know, they're not going to be eating a meal while they're there, while they are there. You can't go to the restroom. And in fact, you can't leave the Senate chambers at all. Um, and you must uh, control the floor for the entire time that you're speaking. So, uh, so Senator Paul, as you see, as you've seen him done, uh, as you have seen him do, rather, if I could speak English today, in past filibusters, as he usually passes it off, he yields the floor to other members who kind of help him with that uh, ten and a half hours of filibustering. But for the most part, he's talking all on his own. So on Saturday, which was, or, or, or no, yeah, on Saturday morning at one in the morning uh, is when the Senate special session took place to vote on the extension of the Patriot Act. And of course, 
Senator Paul um, objected to that and did a filibuster. Now, the incredible thing here is, uh, is, is what has come out of Paul's filibuster. And that is we've actually started seeing bipartisan support in Congress, or at least in the Senate. A lot of the people who got up and spoke with Paul during his filibuster were Democrats. Because the fact is, when it comes to the government spying on citizens, I think I would hope, I would certainly hope, that that is an issue that we could all get behind. And during Paul's filibuster, he said that uh, the NSA is essentially using these blanket uh, warrants where they are accessing the phone records and other types of records of thousands, if not millions, of citizens. And he said if they were better at it, they would be able to access the fund records of even more citizens, which is why they're not, you know, they're not already doing uh, everyone, but they're doing many. And so I want to talk about what Caleb wrote here because Caleb brought up a very good point. A lot of people talk about, well, if we don't have NSA surveillance, if we don't have something like the Patriot Act, and if it does, you know, actually expire on Sunday, May 31st, what are we going to do for national security? How are we going to make sure that our intelligence agencies are able to collect the relevant information they need for possible terrorist suspects? And Caleb wrote a very good um, response to that. And, it, and it, it parallels Senator Rand Paul's response, which is rely on the Constitution. Now, here's what Caleb said. He said, many claim that this is not enough, that the Constitution does not give us enough tools to combat foreign threats in the age we now live. But to honestly judge whether or not this is enough, one must first give an accurate assessment of whether the NSA and Patriot Act does an effective job itself. If the purpose of the NSA is to ensure our safety in times of danger and uncertainty, why is it that the NSA is doing such a poor job at it? In December 2014, while the country was off enjoying Christmas with their families, the NSA revealed that many emails and records had been shared inappropriately and with unauthorized personnel. The format of mass collection of metadata is in fact doing more danger and harm to the safety and security of America than it is keeping it safe. And he goes on to say, to rely on the Constitution would mean to rely on the Fourth Amendment in regards to our national security. Our founders knew that to trade liberty for security would mean would mean to lose both. True national security only comes when liberty is demanded first. To defend Americans' privacy rights outlined in the Fourth Amendment would mean to make surveillance individualized and targeted. And that's the key word, individualized and targeted. It would mean that terrorist phone records would not be overlooked because the NSA would not be otherwise occupied with the phone records of the local soccer mom or teenage prom queen, which I, I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with Caleb because sometimes the teenage prom queen can be a terrorist. So, you know, we should be careful. Um, and, and and you also never know what that soccer mom is going to do with her minivan. So we should be careful. But he makes a good point. There is a way. There is absolutely a way to have national security while also, while also, um, protecting individual liberty. And I think that's a, a very important distinction. I thank Caleb for writing that. So please go up to outsetmagazine.com and you can read uh, Caleb's full article on what it would mean to rely on the Constitution. But, you know, I, I, give, um, I give props to Senator Rand Paul for 
standing up there 10 and a half hours. He looked exhausted by the end of it, but I thank him for standing up there and fighting for the liberty that the Patriot Act took away. And the story that I want to end on today is one that was just published today on Friday, May 28th on OutsetMagazine.com by Graham Ferguson, a really smart guy that we have um, writing for Outset. And his article is essentially a response to an article that appeared in The Atlantic. And the title of that article was What ISIS Really Wants. And Graham's article is called What Does ISIS Really Want? So What ISIS Really Wants was an article written by uh, by, by Graham Wood uh, from The Atlantic. And it talks about, I mean, it's a very long article, to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's wow, it's... It's almost a short novel, to be honest, um, but uh, but Graham breaks it down quite easily. And this is what it gets into, and I agree with, with Graham Ferguson here at Outset um, completely. It's, uh, we, we have to understand what ISIS wants, and want is the key word. And Graham said, why should we, the United States of America, one of the most powerful nations in the world, cater to the wants and desires of one of the most radical and blatantly fearless extremist groups in existence. Upon first inspection, it sounds ridiculous. However, what ISIS wants more than anything, according to Wood, is also what many of us want, significant U.S. military action. So Graham says, both Grahams, I guess, on Outset in the Atlantic, They say that ISIS essentially wants the U.S. to intervene. They want the attention, just like they want media attention. ISIS is like like the middle child who just gets ignored, or like the redheaded stepchild. They're feeling ignored, they want the attention, and so they are going to provoke us in any way possible. So... What this comes down to is, is what are we going to do in the U.S.? On one side, and, and this is where Graham kind of leans towards, although I, I can't say 100%, but it's what it seems like, is we, we should not give them the attention they want. And we certainly should not invade. And we certainly should not declare war on them because that will just give them more fuel to their fire, which is a perfectly valid argument. And then the other side of this says, well, there's no way that they will go away unless we clearly define what we're up against, unless we declare war on them. So a lot of people, a lot of Republicans, even some Democrats, are saying that we should declare war on ISIS and that we should make it very clear that we are at war with radical Islam and that we should go and with boots on the ground, destroy ISIS. And to me, to be quite honest, I'm torn on this. I, I, I really don't know. As much as I would love to see ISIS destroyed, and I would love to see them destroyed um, via U.S. military action, I'm also not a fan of going after yet another enemy that, that doesn't really have a clear nation. I, I mean, the problem with Al-Qaeda whenever we went to war with them, is that Al-Qaeda was not, uh, was not restricted to just one country. It wasn't like we were going to war with you know, Iraq or, or Russia or, or an actual country. We were going 
to war with a political organization. I mean, that's really what Al-Qaeda is. That's really what ISIS is. It's a political organization, an ideological organization. And so how do you go to war with an ideological organization when that ideological organization is not a part of any particular government? I mean, they certainly have operatives within different governments and different countries. But how do we go to war with a very spread out in a very um, inter intertwined organization like ISIS? And I'm not saying I have the answers because I don't really know how you do that. But I think before we talk about, yeah, let's go to war with ISIS, we need to think about, well, how wh what does that type of war even look like? Because to me, that's almost an impossible war. That, that, that would be like saying, that would be like saying we're going to go to war, physical war with every uh, communist in the world. Well, how do you go to, how do you go to war with every, every person who believes in an ideology? other than a very long, drawn-out, expensive, ineffective war that I think would be much worse and much bloodier than the invasion of Iraq and the war on terror and the fight against Al-Qaeda. So when we're talking about going to war with ISIS, and I'm no expert on ISIS, I'm not an expert in radical Islam, but that's a very tough enemy. And I think one of the reasons why I'm leaning towards people like Marco Rubio in 2016 is because I like that military experience. Not that he was in the military, but he has uh, experience in the Senate from um, being on the committees he's on. It's also why I like Rick Perry, although he would be breaking my has-been rule because he's already run and uh, made a fool of himself the first time. But he has that military experience, actual experience. I don't know. All, all, all I think is that um, there should be there should be a debate uh, about what war with ISIS really means. Because I think a lot of people saying we should go to war with ISIS do not really understand that, as Graham says, that's really what they want. That's what they want. And, and since when are we in the business? You know, we used to say, oh, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Well, if ISIS wants attention and they want us to go to war with them, Sure, okay, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Do we give in to their wants? Do we give in to, to their desires? Because that is what we would be doing at that point. So I encourage you to go read uh, Graham's new article on OutsetMagazine.com. I think it's really interesting. I want to thank him for writing it. And also, on this very network, the Outset Podcast Network, we have on uh, Tuesdays, Second Look with Benjamin Green, uh, tomorrow, you know what I, I I've been saying this entire episode that today was Friday. Today's Thursday. I feel so stupid. Tomorrow, Friday, the uh, the 29th, we will have, of course, the uh, the Matt Dallas show. So stay tuned for that. If you want to follow us, follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, whatever. We are working on iHeartRadio, so that will be hopefully up soon. Go to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast for more podcasts. Outsetmagazine.com for all the articles. At Twitter and Facebook at Outset Magazine. 
And, um, and you can find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Perkins on Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And until I speak to you again next week, have a good one, take care, and enjoy your summer, people. Mm-hmm.